community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! One of the things my dad knew a lot about was animals. He specifically knew a lot about uh, the animals that we had on the farm, and he knew about animals that were in the wild that actually served the farmer. Who knew? So I'll pause the story and tell you about one particular young man in our family, me, that was so excited the day I finally had saved up enough money to buy my first slingshot. Tell you what, that was a big deal. It wasn't just any, that's not really an actual picture, but <laughs> way too much hair. So, so it, it was one of those, I saw at the store, it was the, it was the wooden one with the elastic bands and that little leather thing. It came with this big box full of metal ball bearings or something like something that really kills something. So I was awesome. I could take this out and I, I was every, every summer day I was out there and I was shooting the target on the trees and I, I really got pretty good. No David and Goliath, but I got pretty good. Well, one day I thought, you know, I need to kind of broaden my experience here a little bit and start hunting. So I went out to the barn that day, and I, I'm sitting on this little ledge that overlooked a big covered barnyard where the cattle were all there. And up in the rafters were all these nests of these birds, a pretty easy target, I thought. So I'm sitting there, and I am just unloading this thing, and I actually got a few of them. I, I was pretty proud of myself. So after I had exhausted the, the box of little silver marbles, I went back in the house and thought I'd had a pretty successful afternoon until my dad came roaring into the house, and he had one of those birds in his hands. He says, did you do this? I said, well, yeah, <laughs> kind of proudly, until he began to explain to me, <laughs> in a way a dad can and should, that these particular birds were barn sparrows, barn swallows, if you will, barn swallows that ate all the insects. And if they were gone, the insects would actually overtake our farm. Well, I'm sure that was an exaggeration. But what I didn't know is that he was passing, passing on a piece of real wisdom to me. Now, I know it doesn't seem like a whole lot and really that important, but it's what dads do. They pass on important pieces of information to help us to live wisely, to, to live in a way that helps us not to destroy things around us and to, and to be foolish in the ways that we live. Well, today, uh, we're beginning a new summer series uh, entitled A Word to the Wise. And it won't be about barn sparrows I, or barn swallows, I promise. We're going to walk through uh, together the, the book of Proverbs. And we're going to camp out in this book and we're going to discover what a father has had to say uh, uh, to his son the same intentions of passing along a word of wisdom. And each week we're going to explore a different topic, but, the, but primarily the overarching, the big umbrella picture, the word for Proverbs is the word wisdom. So let me tell you a little bit first about the book of Proverbs to get a foundation for where, we, uh, where we're going and how it fits into the, into the big story of the Bible. Well, every story has a, every good story has a beginning, it, it has a middle, 
and it has an end. We can all agree on that. You all have had a beginning. You didn't have anything to do with it, but you were born. That was your beginning. And then you have a, a middle. That's the life we're living now where choices are presented to us. And we have an end, and we don't have any choice in that matter either, right? So we have a beginning, middle. The Bible has a similar pattern of a beginning. We have creation, you following me? Creation, God created. And then there's this, this middle section where you know, Adam sinned, and there's the fall and God's remedy for that through the incarnation, the coming of Jesus. So we've got the beginning, the middle, and we have the end, God's promise restoration of his creation. Well, the Bible tells that story, and Proverbs fits kind of right in the middle of that story. Now, the unique thing about the book of Proverbs, along with several other books of Proverbs, there's Proverbs, there's the book of Ecclesiastes, there's the book of Job, the parts of the Psalms, the, some think the Song of Solomon, where they, th these are called wisdom literature, okay? They don't actually advance the theme or the storyline of the Bible. It's as though, it's as though you're familiar with freeze frame in, in, a, in a play or, or a movie? It's when all the actors, are do, everything's, people are shooting and all this stuff's going on, and suddenly everybody freezes. And the primary storyteller steps out, and he tells you some information that you need to know in order to get the whole story straight. Right? Well, that's a great picture of the book of Proverbs, of, of wisdom literature. It's this, this stepping out from the story. It is God, the primary storyteller, stepping out from the story as it's moving to tell you some things you really need to know while the story's going on. It doesn't advance the story, but it tells you what we need to know. I have no idea where I am in my notes at this particular point. <laughs> Well, that's all really good stuff. So what's happening in the, in the book of Proverbs, in the wisdom literature, it's not specific laws that we need to know, but it's what we need to practically live out our lives, what we call here in the middle. That's what it is. Appropriately, God uses the voice of a father to a son to speak these truths to us. Basically, the Father says to the Son, there's two ways to live. You can live wisely here in the middle, or you can live foolishly here in the middle. It's really your choice, Son. So all of the chapters, if we, if we were to take all of the chapters of Proverbs, which is just after the book of Psalms, which is kind of in the middle of all of that, if we were to take all 31 chapters and we were con to, to condense it down to one particular verse that summarized the whole thing, the theme of Proverbs, it would be this verse, Proverbs 9, 10, and it's this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Say that with me. It will be important to have that on your lips. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want a memory verse for the summer, if you're looking for something to hang on to, it's a great place to begin. Take that and, and 
and internalize it and what that means. And perhaps after this morning, we'll have a bit more of an understanding of what all that means. But let's explore it a little bit, okay? So what is wisdom? What is the fear of the Lord, and how do we get it? That's where we're going this morning. What is wisdom? What is the fear of the Lord? And importantly, how, how, how do we get it? Well, when you hear the word wise or wisdom, what, what comes to your mind? Uh, people? Certain people are wise? You have that kind of in your head? In our prayers, we often ask the Lord to, to grant us wisdom. It's kind of funny how we slip into that, that real spiritual sound and grant them wisdom, O Lord, right? And that's kind of what we do. Well, maybe it's kind of intuitive because we think that wisdom actually has, is something to be held up, right? It's something worthwhile. So I don't think it's just silliness when we do that. Or maybe you're more likely to complete the phrase, he is as wise as an an owl. Who said that? I'm just kidding. That's another dad joke. <laughs> See the, okay. Well, where'd that saying from come, come from? Wise as an owl. Well, there's a Greek goddess, Athena, in the uh, lost my Greek goddess Athena, and she's got this image. You'll see images of her with this owl on her on her arm, and the the image of the owl was. Uh, that we suspect that maybe it's these wide eyes that are all seeing and, and all learning, because that was an important philosophy of, of the Greeks. Or maybe it's the head that can turn 360 degrees. I won't demonstrate. But, <laughs> but may, maybe it's this all-knowing stuff, which was all so important to the Greeks at that time. Or, or maybe it was the stillness and, and the quietness just before they, they lunged Right? There's this wisdom, this waiting, this, this timing. I, I don't know. For me, I'm a little simpler. Um, I just simply thought of Owl, this one, uh, on Winnie the Pitou. I, I guess he was wise, too. And just as an aside, is anybody else looking forward to the Christopher Robin movie? Oh, let's tear up on that. That is awesome. I can't wait for that one. All right, well, the... the the Old Testament word for this is really a fun word. We, we occasionally have you put these words on, on your lips. And this word for wisdom is the word chachma. Excuse me. <laughs> chachma. Can you say that? Chachma. It's close to that. I haven't. It occurs over 300 times. And it expresses, here we go, it expresses a person's approach to living a person's approach to living, and we're going to get to this middle stuff, a person's approach to living that is rooted in a relationship with God. Okay? Sounds a lot more than just knowing, right, and seeing and acquiring. Um, this is where we make the distinction in what we might call the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. We often limit wisdom to knowledge. We say if someone goes to college, they're going to come away wise. We know that not to be true. If, if someone has their Ph.D. in counseling or, or theology, we, we presume that somehow they are wise. If someone sits quietly in a meeting and never interacts, we, maybe we just think they're just being wise. Uh, but I don't think that's what wisdom is. It seems that Jesus actually confronted people just like that, leaders of the church who had much knowledge. They had all the seminary degrees. They knew all the rules. They were smart, but they were not wise. They had forgotten or completely ignored their own culture's understanding of chachmah. 
They, they didn't even practice it. And the, culturally, it was, it, was, it was three things for the Hebrew wisdom. Wisdom is practical in its focus. Hakma is practical in its focus, and it's expressed in the way that we give, give away for the sake of others. Wisdom is ethical in nature. It's expressed by the way that we serve others. Well, it doesn't sound like taken in, does it? Oh, it's, it's, it's this giving. And then thirdly, it's theological. And, and, and in fact, it's knowing God so in such a way that we love like God loves. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. One of the most notable Bible stories about wisdom comes from the life of this father, Solomon, the writer of Proverbs. He thinks wisdom is a pretty big deal. And in the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, the third chapter, there's this young leader who is now taking over uh, leadership of the throne of his father. And one night, he has a dream. Let me read it for you. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my David father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to to govern, see the outwardness of that, to govern your people, that I may discern what is good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or for riches or for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding and wisdom to discern what is right, behold, I'm going to give it to you. That's what he says. Solomon could have asked God for money, for material possessions, for, for, for anything. And contrary to the life of a fool who is fully self-absorbed, he asked God for wisdom on behalf of the kingdom he is now going to serve. See the posture of that request of, of asking God for wisdom. It's important to see. Solomon asked God for something that he could not ever get on his own. He leaned into this relationship with, with God. He understood that godly wisdom is rooted in God. Gosh, it seems so simple. Godly wisdom is rooted in God. Hakma is a person's approach to living that is rooted in that relationship with God. And Solomon says, this is where it begins, son. It begins right here. And he calls it the fear of the Lord. And he invites his son into this relationship with God, this way of living in the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? This word fear kind of trips us up at this point. And, and the questions that come to mind, am I really supposed to fear God? That, that's not really an emotion that I've really attributed to him. Am I supposed to be afraid of him? Well, let me give you a couple of pictures that will help us maybe come to a conclusion or a determination of that. This is the first picture. We're going to go back to our introduction. The first picture, imagine, if you will, the beginning of this story at, at creation. 
And here was the God of all the universes, God of glory and power and magnificence and beauty, along with all of his perfect creation. And this sovereign God of all the universe, he ruled and he reigned perfectly in this shalom, this perfect garden called Eden. And there, in the garden, Adam and Eve. And what were they doing in the garden? They were walking with God. That's the way God intended it. They were were walking together in, in, well, in the fear of God. The fear of God. They, they were in awe of His holiness. They knew who He was. They were there with His, his perfection. This Creator, God, and King, they were in awe. They had this. There was a distance in the midst of His presence because of who God was. So there was the awe. Secondly, there is, there is a respect of His sovereignty and rule. This, this is God. This is Yahweh. This is God of the universe, and so there's this respect. There was only one place where Adam bowed his knee, and that was before God. He was Lord. He respected his sovereign rule. And thirdly, is this delight in his presence. I love that. There's, there, there's a, if we fear God, there's an awe, there's a respect, but there's also there's this delight that, that God has got his presence. That's a biblical look at, at, at the fear of God. Well, the second picture distorts the first because, you see, Adam and Eve, they, they chose to, to disobey God, and, and they were expelled from the garden, and sin turned that, that holy fear, that all that respect and, and, and that delight, turned that holy thing, and it turned it upside down. And now there is, there is fear of judgment, and there's fear of punishment, along with a host of, uh, and waves and waves of other fears in our life. Adam is now outside of the garden, no longer walking with God, but now he is what? He's, he's hiding from God. He doesn't want to be found out. He fears now other powers that, that are over him. He fears now who, who might abandon him. He fears now who, that he might even be unlovable. He fears shame. He fears the emptiness that this evil now envelops his life, fearing that he might not even be lovable at all. And Adam, just like us, live in these fears and all its effects on us, hiding from God. So what is the fear of the Lord? Well, Solomon doesn't leave it a mystery for us. He, he makes it very, very clear. He actually spells it out in chapter 8, verse 13. He says, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That's where we live, right? We're outside the garden, and he calls us to hate evil. So I, I often wonder if I do, if I really hate it if I am repulsed by the evil around me, enough to make me turn from it, enough to to disassociate myself from anything that is evil, to actually call evil my enemy. Do I live that kind of a life? 
I know it sounds in our relativistic world uh, a little out of the mainstream. I want to be a little more culturally sensitive about evil. But that's not what God calls us to be. So the question is, and it might be a bit rhetorical, but really the question is, why should I hate evil? Why? Because God does. And why does God hate evil? Because it separates me from him. As long as I entertain evil, as long as I'm bowing before the, the evil of the world, I, I'm, I'm never going to walk with God. I'm going to be continually hiding from him. The way to really live wisely, Solomon says to his son, the way to really live wisely is, is to turn away from evil and get back to the garden. Get back. The bottom line of the Proverbs uh, serves as God's invitation to us. He says to you and I, come walk with me again. Turn away, come and walk. The story of God is about God's plan to restore uh, this, this middle us, to restore God's creation, his people to his garden where the fellowship with him is, is walking with him. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to return to that wholesome biblical fear of walking with him. You with me? Number three, how do we do it? How do we live wisely? Well, we heard the answer to it in our reading earlier this morning. Listen again. You see, Paul, just to give you a little bit of a background, he's writing in the book of 1 Corinthians to a Corinthian world who thought much, they were Greeks, they thought much of themselves, what they knew, what they accomplished, how they ruled. This was a city, and you remember the, the temple, remember Athena with the owl? This is where the temple of Athena was, in, in the city of Corinth. The Greek wisdom centered around philosophies and, and the rational thoughts of, of men. They, they, they were defining wisdom by their own terms. Wisdom was raised up because they had raised themselves up. And so Paul writes to this Corinthian church, and he says, if, if you want to get wisdom, church, let me show you where it comes from. And he says, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and you Greeks demand wisdom or, or knowledge. And here it is in verse 30. He, God, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom... God, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness. Paul says, no, Athena, you nor any other God that, that you Corinthians have erected, none of them are going to give you wisdom. God says, he the source, that is, Christ Jesus is the source of our wisdom. So, why don't we go back to the source to get our wisdom? The proverb that we're looking at this morning, while not specifically advancing the plot line of God's big story, is a great big arrow forward to saying, hey, if you want to live wisely in this world, you're going to have to do it through Jesus. 
It's a big arrow forward. We turn to the source himself. Jesus, you see, is the ultimate expression of chachmah. He is the ultimate self-giving, serving, and loving example for us. Jesus is God's way back to the garden where the fear of the Lord does away with all other fears where we dwell with him who is Jesus, who is our wisdom. Let me say that again. That's a lot. But Jesus is our way back to the garden where the fear of the Lord does away with all other fears here in the middle where we can dwell with Jesus daily, who is our wisdom. So what is, what, what is it that God wants for you and me? Solomon tells his son, Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord and ha- has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. How's that, Mom and, Mom and Dad? The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. And one more, Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Then what happens next? Then one rests content. You see, living and walking with God actually brings us rest, untouched by trouble. Here, in, in, in our middle, there really are only two ways to live. The way of the fool, hiding from God and pursuing evil, or the way of the wise, walking with God and pursuing that life and hope that he promises. Well, the message today, it really, in, in, in many ways, has been an extended introduction for the next several weeks of our study in the book of Proverbs. Solomon, after laying this all-important foundation for his son of fearing the Lord and pursuing wisdom, goes on to speak how this wisdom can be lived out daily and practically. And that's what we're going to try to do in the next several weeks together. We're going to look at our, how wisdom affects our speech, our work, Discipline, our emotions, our relationships, our finances. So I'm wondering if maybe you might join us this summer and pursue a path of wisdom. Specifically, I think it's appropriate on a day like today, I want to challenge our dads. What would it look like in in your homes at, at the end of the summer if you set out to explore with your children this, this one bottom-line truth together, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as it applies to topics that we discuss week after week. So our speech, what's that look like, son? The work that we do, what's that look like, daughter? The relationships with our friends, what's that look like? How do we practice wisdom What an awesome gift to give to your family, to your children. A way way to really, really live the life that is wise right here in the middle. Cass and I have two boys, I've mentioned before, Ethan and Wes. And five years ago, I was feeling the angst of a father as my sons were uh, at the end of a nest getting ready to 
to fly out on their own. They were maturing young men, and the questions flood, and they still do, like some of you dads. Had I, had I done enough? Did, did I say enough? Did, did I give them enough to survive? Does that resonate with anybody? <laughs> sure, it, it haunts us sometimes. And so five years ago, I made one of those uh, impulsive commitments. I can be impulsive sometimes. I, I didn't know if I could actually keep it, but that particular day, I wrote a, a short little devotional, a, a proverb, if you will, to my boys. And I, and I wrote them, and I said, sons, I, I'm sending you this today with a promise, a commitment that for the next year, this was my attempt to try to backfill <laughs> a little bit, but for the next year, I, I want to show you my heart. I, want to, I, want to show, I, want to, I just want to tell you how I'm living and walking with God. That's what I wanted to do. I had no idea if I could actually do that for 365 days. Nor do I know if they ever read them. <laughs> the boys used to call me Papa Doc, so uh, Papa Doc prescriptions came in their email every day. Maybe today I would call them Papa Doc pr- Proverbs, Maybe. Anyway, 365 days later with lots of clunky writing and stupid thoughts and just real awkwardness because it's just me. No proofreader. I'm the poor guys. But after 365 days, I concluded my commitment. I'd made it through. And I want to read you my last one, if I could. So each day I gave them a verse of the day that came to me through you version or whatever it was that day, and I tried to apply the truths. And this particular day, it was from James chapter 1. Here's the verse. The key is that your request be anchored in your single-minded commitment to God. Those who depend only on their judgment are like those lost on the seas, carried away by any wave or picked up by the wind. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them and bring them anything. Hmm. Always tried to give them a picture. This was a picture of a well that I gave them. And then I wrote this. The the request here is for wisdom. If you were to do one of those on-the-street interviews and asked 100 people, would you like wisdom, how many do you think would say yes? Well, of course, I'm going to guess everybody wants wisdom, whether it's wisdom to make a specific relational decision or or wisdom to make a sound financial decision or job. We seek wisdom because we often equate wisdom with success. But if we stop for a moment and think about someone who is wise, we get an altogether different picture. We quickly see that wisdom is first an, 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 an internal quality before it becomes an external manifestation. You see, the person who is wise draws from a well that runs deeply. The person who is wise is anchored in the vast resources of a loving God. The person who is wise perceives that he is not. And the person who is wise pursues the immortal, the invisible God, who only is wise. And I concluded with a hymn, which some of you may know, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. 
in light and accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious. We are in awe of him, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. I love you, Papa Doc. What do I want him to know? What did I wish I would have imparted more strongly throughout their lives? It's the same as Solomon, and I, I think for all of us dads here today, that the fear of the Lord really is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray.